Good morning. Uh, how are you doing with speeding? Speeding, the speed limits on the motorway. I just thought we'd start with there because it's a bit of a leveller. Um, some of you are nodding and are worrying. Don't worry, I haven't got any photographic evidence. You're okay. I, I just wonder what's permissible for you. I mean, are you a are you a 70 mile an hour person? Or are you, uh, you know, well, actually, no one's going to arrest me if it's 77, because that's 10%, and we all know that that is permissible. Or are you a uh, kind of 80, or are you a, uh, what the heck, it depends how fast everyone else is going, um, and whether or not I've seen a uh, nice, sleek, new BMW with hidden lights in the uh, front. Rules are really important. If you've got a caravan, as uh, one of the videos on YouTube that I hope to show later uh, will demonstrate, it is not a good idea to drive it at 60 miles an hour the wrong way down the motorway. Actually, it's incredibly dangerous and people get hurt. We have a lightweight approach to the rules when it suits us. But frankly, if we can get away with it, if we have got a trolley load, but really we know it's only basket size, we will go to the aisle in the supermarket if no one else is there and try and sneak our... But, you know, it's not really okay to take your trolley into the uh, basket aisle, is it? But, you know, that's not really a proper rule. So we can break that kind of thing. But if you go the wrong way around the roundabout... It's going to hurt. So as we come to today and we look at the Ten Commandments, I wonder how it felt for you as they were read. Was your heart resonating going, yes, this is good? Or were you kind of mentally ticking them off to see uh, how you were doing and whether you'd got away with some or not? What we're looking at today is this amazing agreement between God and people. At this stage in uh, this early part of Exodus, it's verbal, it's not yet written in stone. In fact, it gets written down in a book of the covenant first of all, and doesn't get put in stone tablets until Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. And then Moses goes up the mountain again for another 40 days, but by this point the people get a bit distracted and, you know, I'm I'm going through whole chapters of Exodus at this point. They get a bit distracted and uh, as Moses is coming down with the stone tablets in Exodus 31, what he meets is a people who've gone astray who've had the time to build a golden calf and choose to worship that instead. And so we don't get new stone tablets and still Exodus chapter 34. Interesting little aside, there were two, but it's not like in almost any church, um, I think in this one as well, but my eyesight is not good enough, It wasn't five written on each tablet. It was ten on each tablet. Why? Because any covenant 
any agreement has got to be signed off by both parties. So you've got one copy for each. You know, if you rent a house, I've just had to sign off and be guarantor for some of my kids' rental agreements. You have to sign two copies. They get to keep one and you get to keep one. That's what's going on here. There's one copy each. It's not five on each. And the significance is, is that this is an agreement between people and God. He's brought them out of Egypt and this is how they are to live. So I wonder how we think about the law in the wider sense, not just the Ten Commandments, but the Old Testament. You know, are we the kind of people that are under law or under grace? Because we're Christians, aren't we? Surely we are beyond the law. Surely we've moved on. Surely these things don't apply to us. Well, let's just have a look at the list, shall we? I wonder how we're doing. Um, You know, I mean, there's some things on there that are open to interpretation. You know, making idols. Well, I mean, I, I guess you haven't made for yourselves a little kind of golden calf and got it on your mantelpiece and are saying a small prayer to it each morning. If you have, I'd love to come and chat to you because there is a much better way of living. But we do have idols in other senses, don't we? The other things that we build, the things that we buy, the things that we think about ourselves. We're probably quite hot on the murder one and thinking that that is definitely a bad plan. I mean, uh, actually, if you, if you don't agree with that, don't put your hand up. Uh, come and find me quietly later and we'll chat it through. However, there are some other things on the list that might be slightly more contentious. You know, I, I wonder, for example, how you're doing with the fact that you're here on a Sunday rather than on a Saturday. You know, I guess, even though it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that you'll all be here, ne- well, I hope you'll be here next Sunday, uh, that you'll be here next Sunday and so will I. See, the laws not necessarily very easy. The commands are not very easy from where we stand now. And we do have to think about them. And that's what I'd love to do this morning, is just spend a little bit of time thinking about the law, about the rules. What are we supposed to do with the Old Testament? What are we supposed to do with all these rules and all these laws, which, quite frankly, a lot of them seem so outdated? Surely we've moved on. We've found a better way of living. Surely the Christian faith is all about relationship and not about rules. I I hope you're picking up some of the irony in my voice. Surely as a culture we've discovered something better than the Old Testament. Well, you know, actually, even in the New Testament, the way that the law is talked about is kind of slippery. It can mean the law of Moses, as in just the first five books of the Bible, or it can mean the law and the prophets. Or sometimes the law just means the whole of the Old Testament. 
And we need to be clear as to whether we think that Jesus is coming to replace the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, or whether he's coming to complete it. So, let's look at some of the things that the New Testament says about the law. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. If you want the verses afterwards, I'm very happy to uh, give you a copy of them and uh, encourage you to dig into these even more deeply. Uh, So the first one is this. Uh, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, heaven and earth will not disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus says that he's not come to abolish the law, but instead to fulfill it. However, in Romans it says this, that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. We're not under it, but we're under grace instead. So what's going on? Well, actually, you need to read the sentence before, which says this, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. You see, there is still an issue of right or wrong. There is still an issue about how we behave and what we're supposed to do. It's just that the motivation, the place from which it comes from as followers of Jesus is radically different. In Galatians, it says this, that the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. The law was our guardian under Christ, uh, was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. You see, I don't think the law is done. I don't think we can dismiss the Old Testament as quickly as that. In fact, Jeremiah puts it like this. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's not that the law's been done away with, it's that the law has been consumed and flows from the inside out. So, what has changed? What has changed from the Old Testament to the New? I think the first thing is this, is that we are free from temple worship. We're free from temple worship, from that sacrificial system. It's why the early Christians were so ready to move from Saturday to Sunday. It's not that they didn't want to observe a Sabbath, but instead they wanted to celebrate the resurrection, to be a people of the resurrection who also knew how to rest well. So we have uh, moved because of what Jesus has done from the temple system of worship. 
We've also moved on from the food laws. There's a whole bunch of things where uh, in, in the story of Acts with Peter, Jesus clearly calls the church to something new. But what about the rest? Well, let me highlight four things for you. And if you like, you might want to use these as markers to see how we're going. And they're these, slaves, women, murder, and sex. And I've put this as the trajectory of Scripture. Where do things move in the journey from the Old Testament to the New Testament and through into Acts and the early church? Where do things go? What's the direction? And I think the direction is really important because as the early church figures things out, they haven't landed it all. There's still some work to do. But what's the direction? Because if we know what the direction is, then we know where we should be going. So with slavery, I think it's clear. With slavery, the result is freedom. It takes the church a long time to figure out the reality of what that means. It takes a long time for nations like ours, who quite frankly were built on slavery, to repent from the wrong that we've done. What about women? Where we've had a a week where we've celebrated women in science and history and politics. What's the direction of travel for scripture in relation to women and the law? Well, actually, even if we go back further than that to look at the Old Testament, you know, I had friends posting up this week, you know, just the heroes that were women in the Old Testament. This is not just something that's discovered afterwards. But there are heroes that are women in the Old Testament. Jesus takes, as the first witnessed his resurrection, a woman. And Galatians talks about us all being one in Christ. One in Christ. You know, it has taken us a few thousand years to catch up. But I think what we're catching up with was God's original intention. It's not that we've discovered something new. What about murder? Well, what Jesus says is that actually it's not just about your outward actions. It's about the action of your heart. It's about what's going on in here. And if you're angry with someone else, then you've done wrong. And what about sex? What about sexual sin? I think the direction of Scripture is really clear. That what we're called to is both purity of living as well as purity of thinking. It's not just the outward behavior, but it's also what is going on in our hearts and minds. So what do we do with all of these things? What do we do with it? And with this, I'm coming into land. I think they are, all of these things that I've said are underpinned by two key things. The first is that 
The sacrificial system is done. Even though the law remains. The sacrificial system is done and instead we're to live as living sacrifices. Rather than living in obedience to the law, we live in relationship that leads us to obedience. We live in relationship that leads us to obedience. You see, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and and rebuking. So I encourage us to live under the grace of God, not under law. But to do so, so that we live well in the sight of Almighty God. Not delighting in wrongdoing, but living in the freedom that He's won for us. Let me pray. Father God, you know us and you love us. You've set clear boundaries for us and you are gracious to us when we stumble. Lord, help us to live under your grace in relationship. That leads us also to live obediently. In Jesus' name, amen.